after all the storytelling is done, it's time to talk with the people that made it happen. Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another trip through the wind door. Or is it? Because this time, we're actually staying on this side of the wind door, on our own world, to talk to some of the fabulous people that helped bring New Century to life. Uh, as you can hear in the background, you can actually hear the whistle of the wind door being open, because we still have to stay on brand here. Mm -hmm. uh, your friends Greg and Toby are now in charge of the all-new all different behind the white scarves being released with the culmination of the stone spring maidens audio drama under new management <laughs> yes indeed this will go yeah, out in the race. <laughs> <laughs> you should have had that discussion beforehand uh mm. we're, we're live now we have to do it <laughs> this will go out in a few parts where the first two conversations will be with six of the main cast, followed, as always, with a comprehensive conversation with Alex and Sharon as the creative and editing forces of the story. How many episodes that will go out in? Well, that depends entirely on how long we ramble for and how long that will take to edit. The tendency of Through the Wind Door is for me to break up our Skype conversations into smaller parts for me to edit and release. Because unlike Alex, I am only a mere mortal and I'm not a wizard. The new Behind the White Scars will be the same, so it will come out as quickly as I can manage. Greg, I thought we were interviewing the wizard next week. <laughs> no, that's uh, it's actually, I, I haven't even scheduled anything for the, oh, oh wait, you meant Maya. Okay, yes. yes. <laughs> Well, that's actually still two weeks, so, but oh, yes. yes. With us today are the voice of Harry Arlington, Loretta Sala. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> you all right, though? The loud thump is like a Wendigo throwing something through, being like, hey, hey! Or, or maybe they're just glad that Loretta's here. Well, the voice... no, it's, it's actually, we're taking the second version of Steamheart out for a role in... They're just kind of like, you know, being hit by the windshield occasionally. <laughs> you know, get, get out of the road, man. Hmm. <laughs> also tasking, I can appreciate it. The voice of Truth Arlington and Penthesley Renwick, Theo Lee. Hello. And finally, the voice of Calendula Renwick and Agent Lee Ying Long, Sharon Shaw. Hello. It is wonderful to finally have you all theoretically in the same room obviously this is a virtual room here where we can have this conversation but it feels like after almost two years of doing this now with just me and toby and then every now and then bringing one or more of you in for a conversation on whatever thing was big at the time whether it's the end of an audio drama or just talking with you about your history of working with New Century for many, many years, this now feels like a 
big undertaking, and I hope that we're up to the task. I think we are. I think we've, you know, primed ourselves for this kind of experience. But, you know, I still get tingles to, just to have this finally come to life here. So thank you, all of you, for uh, managing to schedule this all together. Always a pleasure, Puggy. <laughs> it wouldn't be something with Loretta unless she did the funny voices. <laughs> I just assume that one of these other voices is Loretta's true voice, and we'll <laughs> never know which one it is. And that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Why have one voice when it can be multiple choice? So let us begin because we've got a slew of questions ahead of us. To begin with, asking Theo and Loretta, you ended up having a big break in between any major amounts of voice acting, in part due to the surrounding circumstances of the world, but also in part because of the exhaustive efforts that went with Steamheart. And so we're curious, hearing back from you, how did it feel to come back to some serious recording of lines and 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 bringing the world to life again, bringing old characters out of slumber. Theo, you want to start? I, I don't really put them away. Mm. Uh, I sort of, mm. I practice, you know, just, just saying stuff like around the house as I'm doing chores. I'm sure my dog thinks I'm just like, mm, okay. <laughs> um, you know, just, you know, and, and if, if I'm not listening to something in my car, I'll just, you know, break out a voice or two and just sort of practice to myself. It's it's sort of therapeutic uh, because I, I do have a stutter that flares up mm. when I'm stressed. And so it, it just sort of helps my brain get back into that different rhythm. And so I can just talk like a normal person instead of, you know, a weirdo. So I don't I don't really put the voices away. They're just sort of I put I put the ugly ones away. Like I don't visit. um What's her face? The, the evil lady. Steam Steam, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Rose. that one. Her, yeah, Rose. <laughs> Okay, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's the she... equivalent of hanging up some of your jackets so that they're always within reach, but there's mm -hmm. one or two ugly ones that you threw into the dumpster. You didn't even take them to the charity shop. Yeah, yeah. She's 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 in the compost pile out back, so where I mean, she belongs. That does make sense overall. For anyone that has not been here for that, there have been some amazing interviews with all of the big cast members along the way. And they've contributed a great deal into talking about how their own personal experiences have lent strength and depth and nuance to the characters that have been on the page. So, yeah, in general, it kind of makes sense that, you know, if these are voices that you have given form to in your own head that they never really leave you and talk in your head much like uh annie's ghost to abigail i understand that in your case theo that it actually makes sense that uh um that if you have your own personal stuff wrapped up in this and you want to bring out the voice of somebody else in order to realign yourself that that's there's a there's an unusual kind of harmony that goes mm. along with that. So I like that that little tidbit. Yeah. And I've had weekends where I'll be alone in the house and I will genuinely not say a word for 48 hours. And as soon as I try to say a word again, I feel like my throat 
needs to warm up again before I can find the voice that I use every day. So I can only imagine what it's like when it's it's still you, but it is a variation of your voice for a character. So yeah. I can totally see the uh, need to sort of grease the wheels every now and then, just do do the exercises and whatnot. Loretta, did you have anything to contribute? Well, for one thing, I kind of used it because Alex was telling me, you know, um, we're taking a break from Annie. He kind of wants all those voices, especially because of how Harry ended up at the end of the last story. Not Uncivilatlaw. I don't think she was in Uncivilatlaw, but but um, the end of um, Steamheart. Steamheart. Yeah. In point of fact, Annie was an Uncivil Outlaw, but it's easy to see how Lareda could have forgotten. There was one specific chapter that I referenced earlier, where Annie's quote-unquote ghost spoke to Abigail for an extended period. That said, Uncivil Outlaw came out in 2020, and I have no idea how long before Alex actually started to work on that audio drama that he asked Lareda to record those lines. Also, I apologize if some of the vocal quality isn't the best. Lareda had to call in using her phone due to personal circumstances, so her stuff is not as crisp as one would hope. I fixed it as best as I could. He was telling me, he's like, we're, we're taking a short break from Annie because she's gone, and when you do speak, I want it to be more poignant. And with Harry, it's more like, I don't want to say she's in recovery, but she's in treatment. So he wanted it to be a little bit more punchy, a little bit more, have that more of an effect. And to be honest, it really did help me just kind of say goodbye to Annie, even though she's always been this voice in my head. Like, I was doing cosplay as Princess Leia, and it was Annie's voice that came out. It was like, excuse me. <laughs> Ex- excuse me. Uh, I'm, I'm the space princess here. I own all of you, Fox. And, of course, I got a, a, a standing ovation from the 501st. They're like, space man, it's spoken. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, Annie, where the fuck did you come from? Where Theo kind of, like, never lets them go, I feel like I kind of don't have a choice. It's more like they kind of just pop in randomly here and there. But it was nice just getting that break and getting back into my own headspace. And then when I came back, I was fresh. I was ready. Here the recording seemed to cut out, and as a result, it sounded like Theo and Toby were responding to nothing but the gist was that Loretta was externalizing that she hoped she did a good job with Harry's voice, and there was a round of assurances that she absolutely brought her best performance to the table, as if there was any doubt. Well, everything sort of had to hinge on... I mean, obviously we'll we'll talk more about that in a second, because the experience of Stone Spring Maidens was such a divergence from the stuff that had come before, but... Given that this is a love story, among many other things, you had to be able to bring those two people to life in particular. And as Toby said, you you knocked it out of the park doing so. Obviously, as we were recording this, the last few episodes have still to come out. But I mean, I can't imagine that there's any going to be any kind of stumbling on the 10-yard line. It's been wonderful listening to... This play out for us because we'd been waiting for this for uh, what seems like forever to just, you know, to see it come out week after week. But Toby and I read this book right after it came out. And so now it's just like that's what it feels like to read it on the page 
now let's see how how much more it's going to end up being once it actually gets voice acted. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm rambling a bit here. It's <laughs> There's a lot of feelings, there's a lot of things you want mm. to air and share as well, because you're right, this is a very special book. I've gone on record so many times to say it's probably my favorite new century book. And when I was done reading it, I thought like, oh, I, I love this. So it was never really a case of like hoping you guys would get along well with the material and everything, because I try not to have any sort of expectations because this is a creative exercise. It's an expressive exercise on everyone involved, not just Alex, but for all of you guys. And I'm here for the ride to just see how everyone handles each line, each moment, each character. Even so, with all of that, it just listening to this book come to life and have this life that I could feel come across from the words, but caught me so off guard. And I always have this surreal moment during each of our interviews where I feel like I'm building up to a question, but when, what it actually ends up being is just me taking the opportunity to share compliments. But I just, <laughs> everyone present, you did a phenomenal job. It's been a absolute delight to listen to you all. Thank you. So, I love you, Theo. Aww. So sweet. <laughs> <laughs> to dovetail on from that and, Here's where I'm curious to hear Sharon's input as well. I've I've heard a number of different stories about how Alex has basically tried to get the lines recorded, and sometimes it's been hands-on and sometimes it's been hands-off. After all of the experience of the different ways that he tried to direct all of you, how was it handled this time around? Was it mostly solo and he was just sending you your lines was there any kind of grouping involved what worked best for this story i think for this one we did a little bit of group recording but not much and obviously it's slightly different for me because all my line recordings are hands-on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have to be because I'm sat in a chair next to Alex. Mm. So I think you poor, I poor have... person. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's really good. But I think I I have a slight advantage sometimes, or at least I, it it feels like an advantage to me because it he's able to convey what he wants in the moment, mm. and it's a little bit difficult for me to sort of compare that to hands-off recording because I've never done that. So mm. I think Theo and, and Loretta can probably shed a little bit more light on that. But we we did, as I say, we did do uh, at least one of the conversations uh, where it was all three of us in the group. There, there is an energy to that that you don't get on your own. But I think particularly playing Calendula, some of her lines opposite somebody live would actually have been a little bit harder because she's so mean. Mm. <laughs> and I would have felt really bad about having to say that to a live person. Mm. I could see that working well for Calendula because a lot of the time her she is speaking as if she is the only person in the room. So like Ooh. it kind of adds to the performance to That's actually That's a very good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Or at the very least, the only person worth listening to. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Everybody else is here, but I'm not really paying attention. <laughs> Except when they have a nice ass, and then you're like, oh. Kalindia walks into the room and all I can hear is shut up fives a ten is speaking (laughs) (laughs) that sounds a bit wow yeah Theo was even drinking at the meantime like if it was a teacup then it was (laughs) perfect it's just water (laughs) it's just water I promise (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny because uh, Kalindia is one of those very like the impact that she has on the characters we have so invested in it's so easy to hate her but there's something to the performance where even here we're able to just imagine exactly what she could say and it's easy to get a laugh out of it so that just there's something about how she carries herself where you believe her own hype for a moment because mm. she will just say it with such assertive swagger, darlings. <laughs> this is why I'm not a voice actor, so I should really leave it to the professionals. As long as you're not trying to make dog skin coats, Toby, I think we'll all be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see no. you've read further along my notes. Okay. <laughs> I love I love the energy of like bringing up relevant stuff as we go along and the the live nature of it where you you interject as they come up. I am doing my best to try and keep things to a a tailored fashion, but I also have to realize that when we're doing this kind of thing together, you want the in the moment energy as well. And so I have this warring impulse in terms of like should I follow up on certain things now or should I wait till we have the deeper conversation that is specifically addressing some of those issues and Um, I'm afraid I'm no help at all because I'm basically just on the sidelines going haha interview go brr (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah of of the two of us you far more get to be the um, usurp the role of the peanut gallery uh, which I (laughs) Which I love. Um, uh, thank I, you I, for being my designated driver, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me turn this podcast around. But <laughs> William, she started it. <laughs> I don't care who started it, I'm finishing it. <laughs> Harry and Truth get a lot more interpersonal than they ever have before in this book, showing the good and the bad the ties and the cracks now that they are all that is left of their family. We only see them actually together a few times in Arlington. And of course, as Steamheart proceeds, truth is left behind while Harry continues on. So now we're getting a lot more of their own stuff. They have to talk to each other. They need to talk to each other. Was there anything in particular that you drew upon to bring that to life, either in personal experience or in terms of your relationship with each other, Loretta and Theo? I have something about, um, it's an amiable but complicated relationship with my own brother. Mm. And uh, is that this sort of sibling dynamic where we are two very different people. But Mm -hmm. as our older members of the family are 
getting older and dying, uh, you know, the younger sort of group up together. And uh, it's, it's a complicated dynamic because he is my brother. He's my little brother. I, I do love him. But he is. I love you, Jim, but you're a blockhead. Um, <laughs> I say that with all affection and frustration in the world. And Truth and Harry are two very different people, even though they're twins. Mm. But they're basically all they have of their own family left. Mm -hmm. So there's 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 a pulling apart and a drawing together at the same time. And it makes for a, an interesting dynamic in the story. What happened with me and my brother and it's the same thing sort of happening. You know, in, my parents haven't been assassinated, but uh, my pool of parents has been split in half, basically, mm -hmm. in, in recent years. So I'm sort of I sort of know where truth is coming from. She knows that she and Harry are going on different paths. They still have to work on being connected. Mm. And that's that's difficult as you get older and your lives become more complicated and more multifaceted. People grow apart in general, whether they're family or not. But in Harry's case, Harry needs help to deal with her own stuff when we come to her in the book and truth naturally feels the pull to to do the things to, to find the way to help harry out it's not just a case of whether harry wants it but harry does need it and so therefore you know as someone that has had to take care of a family member as they have gone through disability or loss of some sort of function, there's a certain amount of frustration that definitely comes with that in terms of feeling like you need to be responsible for them and the fact that you can't really separate your life out from them even if you want to for whatever reason. Truth is obviously carrying around a lot of her own stuff at the same time, she is continuing to try and do her job on top of being a partial caretaker for Harry, even though Tesla has taken over the majority of the duties for that. I, I think it's fascinating that you pick up on the idea that Truth wants to provide some help to Harry, but when we see some of her attempts to do that in the book, it kind of backfires and this idea that she has to be the one to fix this doesn't work and what I think is very poignant is that the thing that does actually seem to work better is when she remembers the story and share, sort of shares the memory with Harry about when Harry was the one who fixed something because mm -hmm. that is ultimately what has to happen and what does happen in this story is that Harry puts her own pieces back together. Other people will help, but they're going to help her basically do what she does best, which is look at all the pieces and think about how to put them back together, not just to how they were, but better than they were before. And maybe that's the wrong way to put it, not necessarily better, but like the positive, even with the negative. And this leads me on to my next question, which is, Loretta, I recall from past conversations that the memory Truth recalls in this book of her 
smashing a watch in anger and Harry literally picking up the pieces to put it back together was an idea that you came up with. I remember first hearing you talk about this scenario way back in Behind the White Scarves episodes for, it was either Arlington or Steamheart, and here it's cemented into the main text of New Century, part of the official canon as it is. Were you involved in the specific wording or the writing of this section of the book at all? And was it surprise to you when Alex told you he wanted to include this moment or had this been on the cards for some time? This has actually been on the cards for some time. It was uh, one of our very first interviews where we're talking about Harriet and all that. And I told Alex that I had this headcanon about Harry's and, Harry and Truth's relationship in that like they do things for each other, but it's kind of like because Harry's kind of nonverbal, she shows she cares by doing things for you. I I was talking to Alex about that and told him about how, like, in my head canon, Truth gets in an argument with her father and smashes a watch, and Harry kind of sees it and likes to fix things and just fixes it for her without any prompting or, or request about it. And I actually sent him a typed up and um, I think I actually recorded Harry reading the story like from a Vox tube thing, like, hey, I'm testing out my Vox tubes. Truth says this is important, so I'll tell you like my backstory and this and that. And um, he decided to, to add it. And um, I remember when I told him first about the watch incident, he, he said, okay, that's that's going to be part of canon now. So it's it's been in the works for a while. I just never knew when we would bring it up. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like a dynamic between me and my, my own sister. Um, where, you know, like she's not very affectionate, you know, I'm, I'm more affectionate actually. I'm like, I'm going to hug you. Oh my God, I miss you. Come here. <laughs> you know, like I, I show through action as well, but it's more like, no, I missed your face. You're beautiful. Where the hell have you been? You know, kind of thing. Very Can confirm. My sister's more of the kind who shows through action. Like, you know what? she's a cinderay so it's more like oh my god you're such a dumbass but here i bought you some cake it's it's sort of like the the, the relationship theo has with her brother but in reverse i'm i'm more the blockhead i'm because she's she's more social than i am i'm i'm actually a little bit more awkward and i have more of a difficulty understanding people's emotions when i do understand i kind of go overboard I'm like no i'm gonna protect you and i'm gonna feed you and I'm gonna make sure you're okay but it takes me a minute to realize what's happening um, she's mm. always had more of a nouse for people, more of a nouse for situations and all that. Um, there's been more than one time she's like, Laudy, Laudy, read the room. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> but, um, but she shows through, through her actions. She'll, she'll bring me cakes. She'll bring me cupcakes. She'll come check on me when I'm working. Uh, there have been times where I've had to work a full 12 hour shift on my work, you know, my work from home job and she'll show up with food for me. Like she'll just. Like, I'll just turn around and she'll be right there with, like, dinner, you know, and some coffee. And, like, hey, here, you know, enjoy. And I'll bring it downstairs, say thank you, you know, do whatever I can. It's kind of helped me maintain that, that headspace as well. So, But it's it's something I was really happy to see. I was really happy to see the watch story make it into our background. And I'm glad that he kind of used that element to kind of sort of, there's not entirely fix things between Truth and Harriet. Help Harry realize that, oh, shit, I've been an asshole to the only person who, like, fully, truly cares about me. Um, mm. And truth, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I was being such a douchebag. Um, 
truth is a fixer and that 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 type of person has their place but oftentimes i'm not a fixer myself but i have a number of fixers in my life and oh boy the patience i have to exert when they want to swoop in and try mm. to f- fix things and it's <laughs> It's like I can understand Harry's frustration 100%. It's like truth, just unclench, unclench, just <laughs> take some Metamucil, go, go, you know, have a day, think about it, and just, just unclench. Mm. She wants to go swooping in like Mighty Mouse, like, here I come to save the day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, no, 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 bitch, I just peed all over myself. Let me deal with this for a I wonder uh, if there's an aspect to that where on top of truth's natural inclinations that she is possibly fighting against and it needs to be a partially a realization in this book itself where she considers herself the more adult of the two of them and harry needs to show her that you know that she has come into her own and that yes she needs help like we all need help and maybe she needs more help than most because Mm. of her injury but that she also needs the help on her own terms and not necessarily Mm. you know that that it can't simply be whatever truth think harry needs truth wasn't there during Harry's journey in Steamheart. So she saw Harry go away and then come back as she is here, and she didn't see any of the stuff in between. So I think that that is definitely part of her journey from what I can see in this. So I'm just glad that they were able to reconcile and they were able to communicate. Mm-hmm. And communication between siblings is always very difficult because it's like you. You have a lot of the same life experiences, but they're seen through two different perspectives. So mm. it's like, for example, Truth has arguments with her father. Mm-hmm. Harriet sees the arguments. She's not entirely sure what they're about, why they, they constantly argue, but she knows that they're happening. But for Truth, it has more of an impact because she's experienced it directly, whereas Harriet experiences indirectly. Mm-hmm. And so one of them was like, I don't know, like they used to argue all the time and now they don't. I'm not sure why, but hey, I'm glad she's happy. And the other one is like, oh my God, my dad's such an asshole. But at the very least, you know, we're, we're talking again. So I, I think I think he did a good job with that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another well, parallel in that my brother uh, was in the army and mm-hmm. he was deployed. And he when he came back, he'd obviously experienced some things that he has not shared with us what he has shared has been a little harrowing so there's that context that i'm missing that that huge chunk of whatever he experienced over there uh and you know what we have to you know sort of reconnect figure out who he is now and in truth experience that same thing when when harry came back it's like harry had this whole experience something traumatic happened and truth does not have the whole context she -hmm. can only guess and you know at what others have told her and it's it's hard to approach a problem and try to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? I don't have all the pieces. Not mm. to mention that Harry is going to process these things differently. Definitely. I mean, like everyone, everyone processes 
processes everything differently. We're all individuals with and are all all of our own brains work in different ways. It's just in the case of Harry with a clear neurodivergence, the way that often gets expressed with Harry trying to deal with any trauma is mm -hmm. to go inside of herself and not communicate with the rest of the world. So it's even more difficult to know what's going on inside her brain. Mm. This does dovetail with one of the questions I had added. And I, I specifically, it came up in conversation um, between me and Toby as we were doing the wrap-up of Arlington, because we were doing a little bit of discussion and speculation on the character's as they were originally presented in Arlington and new things that we've learned about, in this case, Mr. White, as a result of the last two books. The question I had was that Harry gets some form of closure with Thomas in this book. Truth does not. The only thing we see of significance in terms of her internal thoughts is her determination to kill, quote-unquote, the white that Thomas has become. And I was curious to hear from Theo, do you have thoughts as to how Truth might have come to terms with losing her father twice, or whether that's still an open wound that she'll have to find some way of addressing in the future? I, I think the latter, because I haven't given it much thought. Um, Truth was probably better at putting the pieces together. She had her suspicions a lot earlier mm -hmm. than and anyone else did. But to have it confirmed must have been like, oh, fuck, you know. Mm. What and you I, dread. Yeah, it's like, oh, geez, now I got to deal with this. It's not a maybe anymore. And so she, uh, she she's going to have to deal with this. And I think it's going to be... It's it's not a problem that she can work around in a political fashion. There's, there's no there's no maneuvering uh, that she can do with other people or anything. It's just, it's just her and her father, whatever the hell he's doing now. I don't think she has the toolbox for this particular problem. And it's it's an outside context problem for her. It's going to be, I don't know how she's going to handle it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that she is not, necessarily allowing herself to think of this entity as her father and she almost like as soon as the mask drops she is for the purposes of doing what she feels she needs to do she has to keep the mask on and say no that's Mr. White that's who that man that's what he has chosen to be so I have to deal with Mr. White. Yeah there, there might be a certain degree of compartmentalization going on uh, but that, that only works so far. Like I do a lot of that in my day-to-day -day life and, you know, I, I have my work box and my home box and my family box and, and sometimes, sometimes there's a little bit of crossover, but I, I try to keep everything where it is, but eventually, mm. you know, all of this, it's never, it's never really separate boxes. Everything mm. is in fact connected. The the walls between her compartments are gonna have to come down eventually. They're not they're not built up to code, shall we say? Mm. I'm gonna skip around a little bit just to give you know people a chance to to talk at various points rather than um, 
asking too much of one person at once. Mm-hmm. So, Toby, if you would, with uh, question four. So, Stone Spring Maidens introduces a new world and people to the setting of New Century. And I was curious that when voicing your Elaine characters, Theo and Sharon, was there a defining quality of the Elaine that informed upon your delivery that felt noticeably different to your approach to previous roles? Was there an aspect of autumn that was important for you to convey through your performances? I think for me, one thing that it was quite key to get across in the way the Elaine characters convey themselves is that there is a lightness that the autumn characters have at the start of the story. The people that we know of New Century so far have been devastated by a global disaster and the autumn residents haven't. So Mm. their sort of position on the, the story timeline, if you like, is in a different place. But at the same time, I didn't want to let that make them lighter because ultimately their situations are just as weighty to them. Just because they haven't been through a global pandemic doesn't mean that what is going on with them isn't important. And obviously there are potentially going to be things that come down the line for them that that have a, a wider ramification. So it was getting that balance between a lightness and at the same time a, a seriousness to them, which sounds very evasive. <laughs> <laughs> but but that was that was kind of the the position to to place it. I didn't want them to feel trivial mm. compared to what the other new century characters have been going through. Mm. It's the difference between two wounds, one of which is taking a bullet that's very immediate and dramatic, and the other one is this slow creeping decay that you are aware of and trying to slow, but it's everything you've tried so far hasn't really worked oh hello paperbone <laughs> <laughs> and the the existential uh sort of background radiation of the knowledge that our world is dying mm. and you know, even, even though we, ha- we have this amazing technology like wakanda with the vibranium meteorite that sort of rocketed that pocket of the world into you know so much more technological uh advancements uh, you've got the, the the crystals with the Elaine, and it's the same sort of effect. But you know, even with all that, the the clock is running out, and and you know, it's that's a, so, sort of the cultural thing that it alters the tone of an entire culture, mm. of an entire people. It's like we're all aware of this, and that sort of colors everything. And some of them have a privileged situation that allows them to keep that at arm's length if they choose to. Not all of them mm. choose to, but most of the people that we've we've come to know and love through the story so far don't really have the choice to keep their situation at arm's length. They're, it's right there in their faces. Mm. Oh, goodness. Now I'm all of a sudden... I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be... <laughs> disrespectful or anything like that but the fact that calendula and penny have sort of british accents adds additional depth to that Mm -hmm. just in terms of just a little um, bit 
<laughs> Greg, yeah. are you worried about uh, being disrespectful? You're not going to gonna offend no, me and Toby. Don't no. worry. <laughs> like, yeah, fuck our history. We like we're ain't. It's we're not like here with our monocles going. Oh goodness gracious me! Is he disrespecting the empire? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> tea while the world burns. That's absolute. <laughs> that's absolutely the phrase, Sharon. Like that is absolutely what aspects of the Elaine culture feels like is sipping tea while you know the leaves are falling off the tree and it's like should we not be a bit more concerned and a bit more proactive and oh yes what was that conference that's going on right now and what was that subject matter uh, yes. uh. <laughs> yeah I keep going back to that that, that moment where where the, the the story talks about calendula's like fuchsia or magenta earrings or something that they cost a lot to change the just to change the color of these stones mm-hmm. it was like this expensive chemical process it's like mm-hmm. you, you couldn't find something that was already pink the, the knockoff would have cost you a lot more mm-hmm. it would have cost you a lot less excuse me but yeah it's like you, you spent money on this when you as these, these classist sort of things it's like the rich people just keep doing stuff and it's like you're just painting rainbows on your problems all this technology and energy and resources pointed towards something so trivial and unproductive yeah Mm -hmm. so wait are you saying that calendula's earrings are like nfts yes (laughs) i mean i would say that they're slightly better than nfts in the in the at least they're pretty yeah, and it's it's a physical object that you know you can you can, do stuff you can with. hold it in your hand, which is more than you can do with an NFT. But uh, but yeah, the 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 point is not what the thing does. That's the the fact mm. that they are inert. That that most crystals in this context have some kind of practical function or technological function. The only thing these have going for them is the way they look, and that has been chemically altered. So mm. the point is that they cost so much to to arrange the way they do. And this is this is in essence kind of one of the things that the the class structure, not that this is the time and space to really go into <laughs> everything that I have a problem with in British class structure, but uh, it's that's, always that's the an time entirely different show. conversation. But <laughs> but the point is that the the fact that there are different levels, there is a reason for that. It comes down to this: what is the point in me having spent a lot of money on something which is pointless if people don't know I spent a lot of money on it? That its its purpose is to demonstrate that I had this much money to spend. Mm. At which point you're a snake eating your own tail, really, because you don't have that money to spend anymore because you spent it on those. I, but um, but anyway, that's beside the point. I love that this is a well. I love as a the wrong term for it but that this is a world where the defining feature is magical crystals that have infinite possibilities and Mm -hmm. this character chooses one that has no practical function except to (laughs) flaunt the fact of look how pointlessly ostentatious it is indeed (laughs) it's like covering your food in gold leaf it's absolutely pointless oh god like who does that does it 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 adds no taste. Mm-hmm. You it, it it passes through the digestive system without having any effect. All you are achieving is sparkly poop. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You turn into Taiwan. You should you should be gold. Oh um, my god. <laughs> well, I I kind of see it like she's got like these two 
practically useless designer handbag just right on her head. Because mm. I mean, that's that's a thing out here, at least down here in Texas. I don't know how it is for the rest of the country. I got a coach bag for Christmas. Very nice bag. But all it can hold is my wallet and my phone. And I'm one of those who I have to have a, a, a bag of holding, you know. Like, mm. The point of a bag mm. is for me to have stuff and be like, you know, be the mom friend. Like, come here. What? Your shirt's ripped. Come here and fix that right there. That's what it looks like to me. It looks like she's wearing, like, two, like, big fucking Louis handbags just on her ears. Mm. <laughs> and just like, yes, I can afford these. It may as well have the price tag, like, just hanging off of it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, rich people might have less of a need to carry things around with them. Because they can just you like, hire oh, yes, someone like, for that. Yeah, you hire someone for that. The, the 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 valet you have following you around, the personal assistant, they have the one with the big handbag that actually has all the things. I need my arms free for doing other for wearing all this jewelry. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> also, here's into a, a question: room going, Hello, darling. <laughs> Is the salary you're paying for the valet equivalent to what you paid for the handbag? Because if not, GTFO. <laughs> I kid you not. Today I saw a handbag where the price label was eight hundred and ninety-five pounds. I can't even. Do not get me started. I can't. Mm. I can't carry or wear anything that goes north of about sixty pounds because I'm just terrified it's going to get torn or damaged in some mm. way, and then I'm going to have to pay to replace it. So mm-hmm. that's easily two months' mortgage for me. That's ridiculous. I remember bringing that handbag to Disney because it's all I had. At the time, then I asked my aunt, how much was that? And she tells me, I'm like, oh my God. God." Why do I have this in a theme park? (laughs) (laughs) Why did I take this on Splash Mountain? (laughs) (laughs) Is it waterproof? For that amount, I would expect it to be waterproof. Leather pants. Yeah. Something like that, right? 650. $650. $650. Yeah. They're pants. Yeah. You wear them. Yes. They don't have like a TV in them or something? Nope. I am very old. Like, I would expect it for that amount to be like, you come from Q Branch and like be able to stun a room like and emit some like knockout gas for that amount. Yeah. Now, like, see, I there you go. That serves a purpose. Thing. This is a weird tangent, I'm not sure. Um... <laughs> you see, this is why I said don't get me started on class structure. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We we want to get all of you started. That That is the point. Like, the subtitle behind the white scars is let's get them started. <laughs> Poor Greg's just sitting there like, turn around, preacher, this is the choir back here. <laughs> <laughs> And that concludes our segment on Behind the White Scarves Handbag Edition. (laughs) Theo. Yes? (laughs) You had the biggest job bringing to life a new character that a lot of weight was going to rest on her, but you also had to make them distinct from truth. And I'm very interested in hearing how you work with the script and Alex and your own internal process to breathe life into Penny. 
Oh, I love Penny so much. Uh, she and I are very, very much alike. Uh, down to the poor taste in relationships, uh, <laughs> initially, anyway. Her, her relationship with Calendula, by pure coincidence, uh, we, I did not plan this with Alex, is a great deal like one that I had years ago. I, I got out of it before I married this person, thankfully. But the, the the dynamic of just the, this this other individual being sort of an overpowering personality, a force that I just sort of I didn't have myself completely together at the time. I didn't know myself. I didn't know what asexuality was, and that was a problem because looking back, a lot of things add up. Mm. And if I had known, I could have kept this relationship where it should have been as a friendship as a platonic relationship. I think uh, Penny and Cal might be great friends uh, or co-workers, at least. They, they might be just really great that way. But as a married couple, the dynamic was completely unbalanced. The power uh, difference can be very, very overwhelming for the person on the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Power structure speaking. Especially the way Cal would overwhelm Penny. Any anytime Penny started to, to sort of polish up her spine a little, Cal would just sort of swoop in. It's like no, and I I really remember that feeling quite well, and uh, is it is is informed me since then. And you know, any kind of relationship that I get into, I'm very aware of you know who, who has the power and how are they using it. You have succinctly answered what my next question, which was like, was Penny someone you warmed to quickly as a character? And <laughs> I'm going to say it appears that was the case because. Yes. And this was on my mind because I know that Alex has previously talked about how Penny's indecision could run the risk of having the character come across at, like a, in his own words, wet blanket to audiences at times. I think that with Penny, for me, very quickly, you see that while there are people around her that are sort of stymieing her voice, that there is a great amount of inventiveness and desire to do good. And so I'm going to morph my original question of, was there any point where you weren't necessarily gelling with Penny, because it sounds like you were, and instead ask, how was Penny initially sort of surmised to you when Alex was introducing her to you? Like, what was the sort of elevator pitch of the character? And at what point, moment did all of the things we love about her, you just sort of see it and go, oh, like this absolutely 100% yes. Well, she, she was described to me sort of this like, like engineer, doctor sort of person, sort of type, um, that kind of creative mindset. And I'm I'm an artist. I I like to make things. I like to, to put stuff together. So that that immediately clicked. And then he started. Alex started describing uh, the relationship with Cal, and I'm like, ah, this feels familiar. <laughs> and I told him so, and he says, "Use that," and I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's that like, okay, well, we're going to take you to some hard places here. Do you have any experience you can draw on? And your answer was, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> basically what I said. I said, unfortunately, I know exactly how Penny feels. And he's like, huh. 
He said, well, he, he was careful to, to, to tell me, so if, if any of this feels like too uncomfortable for you to do, I said, no, 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 I want to get this out. This is therapy mm -hmm. for me. Uh, I'm always so glad to hear that, like, because so much of art and creativity is always feels like a form of therapy, but it is rewarding that the hard places that we can take ourselves throughout all of this it does have that form of just restoration, like therapeutic quality to it. So I'm glad to hear that Penny was that for you because there was 100% some moments of like overbearing characters who say, when are you going to grow out of this thing? And just sort of like the only response you have is this is something I like. And it, the fact that it makes me happy and boosts something like I can tell you this as many times as you want me to, but the fact is it like if it's not enough for that, it's just there's something to where Penny is at the beginning. The fact that her mother sort of disappears from the story is a brilliant moment when you start to see that the friends are how Penny feels like she is defined and uplifted and it's brilliant. It's brilliant to see Penny go on that journey. And that wasn't really a question, was it? It was just me gushing. Yeah. Uh, I get like that with Stone Spring Maidens, so I will apologise for the umpteenth time and there will be about another several umpteen more before the interview is done, I'm sure. It, 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 is, it is unfortunately a, a very common dynamic with unbalanced relationships because it, it, it immediately meshed with my experience and I know other people who have had the same sort of journey is just a common sort of dynamic that unfortunately happens a lot. I do like that another common dynamic is Penny's friends, Ganny and Adar. Especially Adar just standing off the side, just just getting salty as the sea, <laughs> going, when is she going to get her shit together? I mean, jeez. And I, I had friends like that. I had friends who could see what was going on. And they were like, well, I mean, you, they didn't jump in and try to s save me. And I do respect that because I wouldn't have listened. I was too deep in the fog. But, you know, after after I got out and with the benefit of time and hindsight, I was like, hey, guys, thank you so much for, you know, not giving up on me and, you know, doing what you could to, to talk some sense into me because I, I recognize that they were with me the whole time. Mm. Mm. When Alex first brought up the, oh, how are people going to respond to Penny? You know, is this going to work out? And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I <laughs> identify with Penny. I mean, it may not have always been the same people, but I've definitely had the experience of, overbearing personalities and being swept up in their wake rather than being able to voice my own concern. And what you just described a moment ago, Theo, with when are you going to grow up and be interested in more adult things? You know, I'm going to be honest, for a very long time, that was a dynamic between me and my father, where it's like, why do you like all of these geek things? And like, isn't that a little bit childish at this point? And I'm like, this this is my expression of myself. And he's come to understand that better now as we've both gotten older. But for a while, it was definitely a sticking point between the two of us. So, yeah. Mm. The silence. Really. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's Penny. Um, <laughs> yes. 
I feel like with five of us involved, there's uh, there's moments where like it's essentially the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly, where everyone's just like looking at each other, like waiting for <laughs> someone to chime in because we either like we w- don't want to step on people's words, but we also just enjoy hearing what everyone has to say. Mm-hmm. Who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could talk first, but then I, I don't know which voice I'd use. <laughs> That's true. You say five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like some five. of us are bringing more than others. Yeah. <laughs> Greg and I are just coming with, like, we just have the one revolver in our holster. Like, you guys are the ones with the trench coats, like, loaded with. <laughs> like... You can never have enough guns. All right. So, for all of you. Stone Spring Maidens was a departure from what you'd done before. There's plenty of action and drama and progression of the overall plot of the world of New Century, but this had a distinct romantic bent, the primary theme of the novel, and that is new territory for New Century and for in comparison to what you'd done before. This basically brings all of you into the equation. How was it to voice act some of the more intimate aspects of the script, both verbal and nonverbal? Steamy? (laughs) (laughs) That was interesting, um, because I I am a, a hopeless romantic, but I don't have any romantic interests, you know, like myself. Mm hmm. But I I do know I do know how it works. I have been in love. For stuff like that, I put myself I step outside myself. I'm Penny right now, so I'm just going to be Penny. And Penny happens to be in love with this brilliant engineer. And that's what she does. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. sort of simple for me like that. I don't know if I don't know if that's one of my little compartment boxes or something. I don't know. I would probably say that compartmentalizing was definitely something I brought to this I I will potentially potentially I will be expanding on this later but like Theo I had a a personal connection with the dynamics of this relationship albeit from a different direction and in those moments for Calendula she is so controlling and so demanding I was going to say overwhelming. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, b- to be coming at it from that side where I've, in the past, my experiences of that dynamic have been being the recipient of it, um, it it felt, I don't want to say unnatural, but it, it was difficult to shift and stay in the performance. Mm. So I did have to sort of have that, compartmentalizing slight detachment to it just to be able to to keep it playing Loretta, do you have anything to add to that uh well with harriet um because i've like i i consider myself not really typical but i've got friends who are very much closer to to harriet's level mm-hmm. um i kind of copied them <laughs> um, because i've seen i've seen how they approach dating and seen how they they kind of approach each other and how they approach Whoever they're interested in, I'm 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 usually the one who's like, hey, hey, no, 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 dude, she's actually interested in you. Like, she's been staring at you this whole time and wondering if we're together. Go. <laughs> <laughs> like, Loretta's over here with the little action figures, going, now kiss. 
<laughs> oh, Penny, I love you so much. Oh, hurry. Oh, hurry. And then Kalindra comes in like, what are you doing? Wait a minute, I want in on this too. And then like, it's a threesome and everybody's happy. But it's, uh, it's very much like, you know, like when you do have those feelings for a person, it's, it's kind of like, wait, um, how do I approach this? How do I do this? Uh, 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 uh. I like your shoes, and um, 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 here's a flower. Bye! Do you like bread? <laughs> I've got a French loaf. <laughs> Bye! I love you! <laughs> that, is, that is true, because, like, Harry doesn't necessarily have someone there alongside her to help to navigate this, I guess is the best way to put it. I feel like truth like it, the story would have been very different if Truth had been there with her, like kind of coaching her while a serious serious like Berger act. Just like, like okay, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, you look a lot stupid. How did you get this so small? I just kind of looked at your plans and and decided to uh, uh, see if we could. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, those are my ear, right? Yes, that's why I did your hair like that. Now shut up and listen. <laughs> but simultaneously, I I do feel like part of Harry's arc is that she's moving towards a mindset where she recognizes that navigating this kind of relationship, it is okay for her to find her own way to do it. There isn't a set template for anybody. It's just mm. that neurotypical people tend to think there is and everybody's got to follow the same pattern. Sometimes it takes someone who can look at it from a a very different angle to be able to say, well, maybe I get to work this out for myself and I don't have to jump through all these hoops that from my perspective, I actually can't even see. So trying mm. to jump through them would be a futile exercise. So I'm just going to see if I can play this out my own way. Arms, mm. arms. <laughs> <laughs> well, hence the significance of the self-actualization of finding her own colors and mm. the, even saying like not it's not even just about i found my color it's hmm well i like this color and what it embodies and i like this color i don't have to choose i will take both of them like i talked about this recently on the discord but i love the scene where everyone is talking about color and i'm getting ahead of myself because i want to save that as the close but yeah it it was so rewarding to see Harry self-actualize, I guess is that word, is to just see she had already come so far in Steamheart and this was just like the the object, the, the sort of forward momentum that she had started, even though it felt like she had come to a grinding halt at the place that she had ended, she is still moving. It's just not necessarily in the path that she was anticipating. I'm, so I'm just glad she was able to come into her own and the only difficulty about that was because I'm part of this. Harry starts out, she's always had kind of a stutter, she's always very slow when she speaks because there are times where she'll get that inspiration while she's in the middle of something and go completely silent and then mm. try to find where she was a second ago and everybody's staring at her like, Harry? Harry, are you okay? <laughs> um, but it's hard too because Again, I, I voice Annie, so uh, one of them is always a little bit slighter, slightly faster, slightly harder, like slightly more confident than the other. So there were times where I'd have to do retakes for Alice mm. because this is Annie. He's like, <laughs> "Oh shit, it is." I'm like, "Yes, I got, I got to do this again." 
and so I'd have to listen to Harriet again and, and you know, do do my, my voice exercise, which the funny one for uh, for Harriet was always um we have we have words that we use to kind of like pull ourselves into that mindset. And for me it was thinking of Harriet going, motherfucker. <laughs> and so it's like um so that's that's where it goes and then and so I have to say that and then I have to get back into that that brain set and it's like wait, what am I doing here? Oh yeah, yeah, uh cute girl. Um um, 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 want a cookie? Um, uh, uh, I'm now imagining that particular bit at the end of Inside Out, where just inside Harry's head, it just has the alarm going off of just girl, girl, <laughs> and no so, one's at the wheel. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that there was some grouping stuff in terms mm. of delivering the lines. Which I expect might have been some of the, as I think Sharon was mentioning earlier, some of the stuff that was specifically involving uh, Harry, Penny, and Calendula, probably among others as well. Obviously, that's a conversation for some later questions as well. But was it more difficult? Was it particularly challenging to try and communicate personal exchanges that we're meant to have this level of chemistry without necessarily being physically present for all of it in terms of interacting face-to-face and everything like that. There was one session with me and Loretta um, together, and we did a lot. We did like a huge chunk of it together, um, except for the intimate scenes. That helped me at least sort of figure out where Penny's dynamic was and how she interacted with Harry, how she was different with Harry versus with Calendula. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a, a session with Sharon because I, I, I don't know how I would have reacted <laughs> because Cal is so similar to he who shall not be named. Mm. She's mean. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being nice. Um... <laughs> Indeed. Mm. It's it's yeah. just remarkable to me because Sharon's played Mortimer and like Mortimer can be a handful in just to also put that mildly. But I can't think of another moment when Sharon has voiced a character so mean as Calendula. So it's just I think that's one of the most disarming things about hearing that first chapter and I, I'm wondering if that was the case for anyone else, and it's just hearing Sharon. It's like I'm, I'm not used to this. Like Sharon's being very mean. <laughs> There's Yagana. That's true. That's <laughs> a completely I, different I dynamic, though. Don't yeah. know if we call Yagana mean, but, uh, but yeah, because yeah. that's the other thing. This is actually the great moment to start talking about this because it's it's come right up in the question list now. Everyone mm. keeps using the word mean, and honestly, that's not the word I would use to describe. She's... I'm British, Greg. This is my gift for understatement. <laughs> <laughs> she's manipulative, mm. and she... She's assertive. She's assertive. She hits below the belt in a mm. certain way. Well, at least she did for me, and that was even just when I was reading the book i knew that once i was going to be listening to it and having sharon voice it that 
there was a danger of my my brain going sort of blue screen of death in terms mm. of like not being able to deal with it. Um, to this day, I am still not able to get through Tangled because of Mother Gothel. Yeah, because of Mother Gothel, she invokes Mother the same kind best. of thing in me. And so, therefore, I was like, oh, boy, oh, this is going to be a, a bit of a trick. And, yeah, this is a notable change for Sharon because she's now tasked with performing the antagonist for the romantic portion of the story. She has a different dynamic to her than even Mortimer did. Toby and I got into a little bit of a conversation about this. I don't remember when exactly, but just in terms of the progression of Sharon playing Mortimer and then playing Calendula and the fact that she's going to be playing another antagonist in a future book, that's just going to be like, okay, that's going to, that's a fascinating. I'm scared, Greg. (laughs) We did put Yagana somewhere along that timeline as well, but Yagana also represents something again, alternate to the more humanistic characters mm. of well, we were even talking collection. about force of nature villains versus human villains on the discord yeah. recently weren't we yeah there's there's something about bringing in the human weakness mm-hmm. to the 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 antagonist role cal is a very real person like you know mm-hmm. every one of us knows at least one cal it, that's actually even there was an amazing YouTube video that Lindsay Ellis did recently on narcissism as presented specifically in the MCU with Loki and a few other characters, but they used references to a lot of other shows, some of which were familiar to me and some of which were not. Sharon, you already talked about how this story is personal for you. I'm curious to hear more from you in regards to how you were able to handle the headspace of Calendula and acting those moments out. Mm, Yeah, it was... I didn't know initially how I was going to approach this because... uh, Okay, so like Theo, uh, I knew a Cal, and Alex very consciously drew on the circumstances in which he and I had met to explore the relationship between Penny and Harry. Only in this version, Penny was in my position. So that's mm. that in, in that particular dynamic, that's where I was in my, my real life scenario. And one of the reasons why this was quite therapeutic for me as well was being able to look at that relationship from a different point on the triangle gave me a certain degree of insight, not even specifically how my cow related to it, but Penny's reactions and responses. So one of the reasons why relationships of this nature are very hard to get out of and very hard to get over is because it can be extremely difficult to understand your own behavior in them. For Penny's reactions and responses to make sense in my head, the audience had to be able to see what Cal was from her perspective. That was my challenge, was getting that across. 
So the fact that particularly back when they first met and, and obviously they've been together for five years, so they, it is a long relationship, but Cal was exciting and superficially glamorous and socially successful, even, even back in the early days, that would have been the, the flame, if you like, that the way I saw it, Penny would have been drawn to. But over the course of the relationship, Cal had eventually become so demanding, which somebody who feels like they have to burn that bright all the time can eventually become very demanding. And Penny would have got so used to suppressing her own emotional needs, let alone any desires that she might have, and so used to putting all of her energy into avoiding conflict that she would be too exhausted to get up and initiate change. And that wasn't an easy thing to put myself back into because I to do that, I had to kind of go back to how I felt back then and then kind of turn the screen around, if that makes sense. Mm. One of the key elements for me was to keep in my mind that Cal doesn't think of herself as narcissistic, which, of course, no narcissist does think of themselves that way. To her mind, she's behaving in a manner that has so far served her very well to achieve success as she's been taught to measure it. And no one's ever called her on that. No one's ever said to her, this is not an acceptable way to behave, at least nobody who counts. So why shouldn't she continue to do that? It was intriguing to me that the moment she starts to meet resistance from someone significant in her life other than Penny, because by taking her cues from Penny's mother for the duration of their relationship, she's learned to ignore any complaints or objections that Penny might have, or at least resist them long enough that Penny gives up having them in the first place. So as she interacts more with the people who are becoming significant to her by virtue of the fact that they're becoming significant to Penny, you can start to see the cracks in her armour as she has occasion possibly for the first time in her life, to question herself. There's not much, at least not to begin with, but there is enough to start to see that there might actually be a person in there rather than just a collection of complexes. Mm. And I think that's what makes her more than just a straight villain. And being able to work through that process helped me work through and let go of a lot of tension that I was still carrying from a relationship that was over two decades ago. Because it does stick with you for a long, long time when you've been in that position. Like I said, because it, it effectively it makes you question yourself. You look at the way you behave in certain scenarios and go, well, that's not me. Why, why did I do that? That doesn't feel like naturally me. And until it makes sense, it's very difficult to let go of. Hmm. That was part of my own difficulty with Calendula in particular, in that it was possible for me to see the person inside her at the same time as seeing that her behavior was unbearably toxic. And that <laughs> like it's it's easier when it feels like that there is really nothing of value in there and you're able to view them as entirely as a villain 
as opposed mm. to seeing them as just being a flawed person. Mm. You can dismiss someone who is just all negative, but mm -hmm. it's when they feel uh, to me because Penny is this healing presence or someone who like wants to heal. The fact that Cal kind of plays on that, or like maybe it's conscious, maybe she genuinely does have this vulnerability that she draws Penny in and that is something that can draw us as the audience in as well that you feel like Calendula is manipulative and she's a negative influence like and drain on Penny but you can see that vulnerability all the same I mean that's a central component to some of the things that Lindsay talks about is that people with narcissistic disorder are often very vulnerable and are constantly wondering about what other people feel about them. And, you know, that it may seem from the outside that they are completely in their own little world, but that's it, internally, there's a lot more doubt going on. And that's why they have to double down on their trying to control the world around them to maintain their own position so to speak. So. Yeah, and a, a, a lot of the time because of where that comes from and because that vulnerability is there, people who have that mindset, and it's it's actually, we, we talk about sort of narcissistic disorders, but it's quite easy for people who don't meet the disorder kind of threshold to have very strong narcissistic traits and tendencies. They often will latch on to people who have instincts to nurture and to heal and mm. to support because and again I don't even know if this is necessarily something that they do consciously but they work out this is something that could potentially feed me not help me necessarily but feed me mm. and I think it is important to be able to recognize that manipulative behavior as a part of something that is coming from a person with vulnerabilities so that you can then say these vulnerabilities are not something I am capable of fixing. I can't sort out this person's issues. Mm. It's something that they have to be able to do for themselves. And ultimately, that is often the, the thing that doesn't happen soon enough. And this is why this kind of relationship can often drag on Mm. far far longer than is at all healthy for either person involved frankly that's a wonderfully strong note to end on so tune in next week for the conclusion of our conversation with theo sharon and loretta as before to play us out some amazing outtakes from the world of stone spring maidens i had to reinstall audacity because i have a new computer so, I hope I remember how to do this. <laughs> it's been a while. So, yeah. We shall draw up charts of what maintains her presence and allows in So, yeah. We shall draw up charts of what maintains her presence and allow safe. So, yeah. Will you take me in there soon? Will you take me in there soon, Mary Poppins? So, yeah. A family from Des Moines, Iowa. Iowa. Dishonor. Dishonor on me. Dishonor on my cow. 
So, yeah. You know the world that James opened up in August? The one he faced... The one he faced... The one he faced made contact with. So, yeah. An accident? Did you trip over his tumescent flesh flute and tumble into her quivering whisker biscuit? <laughs> it's, some, it's just something about the rhythm of whisker biscuits. <laughs> so, yeah. An accident? Did you trip over his tumescent flesh flute and tumble into her quivering whisker biscuit? Such a florid line. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. Alexa's listening. She's always listening. We do not speak the Bezos' name. So, yeah. Cunning. Persuasive. Influential. Manipulative. It's manipulative. Oh, it's Metal Gear. So, yeah. You have been listening to episode... <clears throat> you have been listening to... <laughs> Tip of the tongue, teeth and the lips. You have been listening to episode 12 of... <laughs> so, yeah. Ganymede Ferron, performed by... Ganymede Ferron, performed by... Ganymede... Ganymede Ferron, performed by... Fuck! <laughs> uh, no, 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 shush, 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 shush. <laughs> I can't do it! It's, I can't say the word. It's not a word. It's, it's just a crazy space elf. Mm.